0: I am thankful for our youth group uh, who worked to put together that bumper video uh I'm thankful that all month long you're going to be able to see uh, them coming together in that sense and being able to create a creative element here uh, for our church. And so I hope that y'all will give a a shout out to our students and to Al and Chad who worked with them uh, to create that video. Uh, We're going to start a new series today and it's called Asking for a Friend. Uh, And it is in reality, it's a lot of questions that we ask, that we think about, but it's easier for us if we will kind of put the disclaimer asking for a friend uh, because it's not really about us, uh, it's about someone else. And, and I love it when someone comes up to me and says that of, well, they want to know. Uh, and often it is a way that we phrase it uh, so that we can come to, to an answer or come to a solution to a problem that we may have. Now, the reality is some of you are gonna love this series and some of you are gonna hate it. Uh, and if you love it or hate it, What I'm asking you to do is to to listen to it, to engage it, and maybe to to invite someone to come alongside. Because here's what I know: is whether you do love or hate it, there is someone you know who does need to hear it. There's someone you know that maybe it's your children, maybe it's your grandchildren. Maybe it is you, maybe it's someone in your family, someone you work with, or maybe it's somebody that you're going to meet in two years from now, and you're going to be able to go back to this message uh, for us to think about it. Because it's, it's deep questions uh, that challenge us in our faith. Now, you may stop and hear this message or this series and think, well, this is not necessarily pertaining to me. Uh, why should we listen? I want to remind you of a passage that comes to us in Mark chapter 2. We get this story in verse 15. It says, Jesus sat down to eat at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. Indeed, many of them had become his followers. When some of the legal experts from among the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? That's the question. If you think about what that is posing, that's the question that we would be asking is, why should we listen if it's not about us? See, often we make church about us. Listen to what Jesus says. Listen to his response. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. Maybe, just maybe, We need to think more about stuff like that we're going to talk about in this series. That we need to discuss it more in the church to help prepare us to be able to reach people who are outside the walls. Don't get me wrong. I love preaching, and I love to be able to take a scripture and think about how is it relevant to me? How's it relevant to my family? How's it relevant to you? How's it relevant for as we reach the community? But here's what I also know. There are not many people who are sitting outside the church that are wondering, how is the Good Samaritan relevant to me? They're not. We might like to think they are, but they're not. And so we have to look and think maybe in different ways. In fact, and this is probably what's going to make you most uncomfortable, is there's a significant portion of our population that think that what we're doing in this very moment doesn't make any sense. See, the church or religion used to be the solution, and now many think that that the religion is part of the problem. And so we have to ask ourselves and engage in really honest, deep questions because our youth are doing that. Our younger generation are are challenging themselves, and we as a church have to be prepared. I was having a discussion with uh, a parent this week of one of the students in our church, and they were asking because they were having conversations in their home. You know, We talk about, we tell our students, we tell our young people that they can be all that they want to be, right? That we want them. I want my daughter to know that she can go to college and be anything that she wants to be. And so it shouldn't surprise us that they begin to look around their world and see, you know, we live in a world where we have gone to the moon. We have uh, an international space station, people literally living in space for months. And in their lifetime, in in the student's lifetime, they're going to see probably the exploration of Mars. They see these things. Think about it. In COVID-19, we have moved from discovering a disease to probably the development of a vaccine within a year. You think about they live in a world where you can travel anywhere. You can be on the other side of the world in a short distance of time. So why do we need God? If we can be all that we can be, why do we need God? And it's not just students. A significant portion of our population have begun to disconnect from religion altogether. And I think I'm even more concerned because of the pandemic, because you get so many people who have disconnected from religion, disconnected from faith, disconnected from God. And we as a church, we need to talk about it and think about it. There's an actual name for this group of people, and they're called nuns, and it's N-O-N-E-S. So be careful how you spell that. Uh, It's N-O-N-E-S, nuns, and they are not affiliated with religion. It says 23. Listen to this. In the United States of America, 23% of our population are considered themselves as nuns, not affiliated. 35% of millennials consider themselves as non-affiliated. They're not hostile with religion. They're just, they just don't care about it. They, they're over it. So their response would be is I'm just done with religion. And the reality is I can't speak for all of religion but here's what I think we can probably say or at least if we're honest we can admit that it's probably somewhat true when Christians migrate to a nun category it's often at the fault of the church and that's hard to think about and there are some of you who are already kind of pushing back against that and I understand that I mean I can remember growing up When my father decided to um, move from being an alcoholic to a recovering alcoholic and seek treatment, that me and my family went through treatment together. And I can remember going to therapy, and I can remember going to Al-Anon for several years. And it was hard to hear that I had a part to play in that. And I had to at least own up to that. And that's what I'm asking you as the church to do as well. For us to stop and think about what have we done? How have we communicated a message where we can see so many people migrating away from the church? We need to hear it. We need to talk about it. Here's what I see in the Gospels. If you go and look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them. From the beginning all the way to the end, throughout the Gospel narrative, you see people who are different from Jesus who liked Jesus. And it wasn't just because he was a miracle worker or that he was a teacher. I mean, people who were just vastly different liked Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus liked them. And we, as the body of Christ, are supposed to be an extension of Jesus Christ. If Christianity is not compelling, if people are migrating away from Christianity, I am convinced that part of the issue is that we are communicating a wrong message or distorted message. We are communicating a, a, an image or a picture of God that we may need to see is it completely accurate? And you may think, well, that's crazy to think about. But here's the truth. I was in a conversation with someone just this week, a very casual conversation. And we were talking about some of these issues. And they told me that they used to go to church, different denomination. They used to go to church, but now they don't go to church anymore. And here's the reason. Because someone in their family went to jail. And they were asked to leave the church. Because it didn't convey the right image. And in my heart, I thought, I don't want to go to that church either. We have to be honest about us and how we communicate to those who are outside the church. Because if we're honest, there is something about God and religion and church that is unsettling. There's also something about a godless universe that is unsettling, right? So this whole idea that we just reduce down to the law of physics and the law of chemistry and, and the law and, and, and the law of biology—that's uh, to me even equally more unsettling. But but there's this tension that exists, and so we have to to think about how do we communicate a, a gospel? How do we communicate the message of Jesus to a community, to a world that is more and ever increasing unsettled. So let me tell you that we're talking to two different groups of people today. Some of us in the room are followers of Jesus Christ. Some of us are um, trying to, to grow in our discipleship. And so we have to be honest with ourselves. But then there are also those of us who are joining in that maybe we are in that doubt category. We find ourselves questioning. And I want you to be honest in yourself as well. Good news for us is that humanity throughout history has experienced disbelief in God. Uh, think about this. That there used to be a time when the brightest minds in the world believed that we should worship the sun. There used to be a time when the brightest minds in the world used to believe that we should worship Zeus. The Roman Empire to worship Jupiter. There's not very many people that worship the sun anymore. There's not very many people that worship Jupiter or Zeus. We have kind of let go and quit believing in those gods. And the reality is it's interesting that early Christians were considered atheists in their time. The pagan culture looked at them and said, "You don't believe in the Roman pantheon of gods, and so you 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 are you are an atheist." And the Christians will reply back and go, you you don't realize you have the wrong God. We just believe in in a different God. We believe in in God in a new and different way. And so that tension still exists. And so what I want us to do is just to kind of think about how we have have matured or if we have matured in our faith. I found one author that wrote about this, and, and this is what she said. Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at about the same time as we were told about other concepts around Christmas and Easter traditions. But while our understanding of those phenomena evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied That he existed. So what I want us to do is to spend a few moments thinking about maybe the way that we understand God. How we understand who God is. Now what I want you to hear more than anything at this moment right now. Is that nothing that I say means that there isn't a God who exists. In this series, my goal is to help all of us realize we all need God but we're gonna do it in maybe a little different and unique way. So how do we understand God? See, part of the thing is how do we communicate that? First, we can often understand that God is a bodyguard. And that a good God, we sang about that good God as we started the service. I noticed that Tony Love said he was willing to dance, so we'll have to think about that later on. But, but we, we, we sang about good God, and we, and, we, and we talk about the fact that a good God, um, or we think sometimes that a good God can't allow bad things to happen to good people. And this is the image that we present So consequently, when we see bad things, when we look at the evil world that exists, when we see bad things, we begin to think that maybe because bad things do happen to good people, therefore there can't be a God. Listen, if that's what you're struggling with, if that's what creates doubt in you, Christianity started when something really bad happened to someone who was really good. If Christianity is anything, if it points to anything, it's never going to point to the fact that nothing bad can ever happen to good people. Because the early heroes of the Christian faith, the people who were the the leaders of the faith, all of them experienced bad things at the hands of the Roman Empire and the temple. And So I just want you to think about if you're struggling today because a good God can't let bad things happen to good people, Maybe, just maybe, we have conveyed the wrong message about God. What about an on-demand God? On-demand God. You want God to work this way. We actually operate our faith often like this way. But then our faith gets shaken when God doesn't operate this way. And you know how that works. We pray. We ask God, okay, God, I'm not asking for anything big. I'm not asking for you to change the world. I'm just asking for a Jeep Wrangler. That's just a simple request. Uh, I'm not asking for any big thing. I just would like for my children to think about grandchildren in the future. Lay them now, Lydia later. Uh, I'm not asking for lots. We're just asking God to answer our question and answer our demands when we want. And that prayer would be over and over again, right? I'm not asking for anything big. Just do this, God. But then I ask and God doesn't answer. I ask for a sign and I don't see anything. I'm asking for a miracle and no miracle occurs. And so we get to this place and we decide there must not be a God. God can't exist because God's not answering my demand. Listen, maybe we've conveyed the wrong message. Truth is, I don't want that God. Because if God answered the way I prayed when I was 15 years old, my life would be a wreck right now. And you know that is probably true. So, maybe we've conveyed the wrong message to a world that's asking different questions. What about an emotional God? God's presence. I I, I think about how I communicate. And even as I wrote this sermon, I thought, you know, I communicate a lot about God's presence. We sense the, the presence of God. And that's important to me in my life. But when you get older, what happens if you don't sense the presence of God? You read scripture. You get involved in a Sunday school class or a Bible study, you start serving, and everything still just seems somewhat flat. And you think, okay, I'm trying to seek after God, I'm trying to sense God's presence, but I don't feel God's presence, therefore, He must not be present. Who told you that? We've had that discussion in our own family about Do we convey a message that you're always going to feel the presence of God? Here's an interesting thing. Have you ever thought about the fact that things that are most constant in your life are the things that you're often the least aware of? You know what? I've never had anybody in this church ever do. And I've never had it at any church. But I've never had anybody in this church walk up to me on a Sunday morning and go, man, the temperature just feels perfect. Right? What I hear, it's too hot or it's too cold. And you probably do that in your house. You probably never sit around and watch TV and go, man, this temperature is just really good. You know, we we don't think about that. The things that are most constant are often the things that you're least aware of. Even Mother Teresa wrote and talked about the fact that she would go months and months and months and months of not feeling the presence of God. Maybe we're conveying a wrong message. Another one, this one's the quickest to run away from, but the hardest probably to distance yourself from. And that is that God controls with guilt. God controls with guilt and fear. So if it's enjoyable in your life, the answer is no. And if it's sexual, the answer is no, 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 right? So we, we, we present this image that this is how God operates. He loves us, but maybe he doesn't like us too much. Doesn't want us to enjoy anything about life. If I've learned anything, it's the freedom that a relationship with God brings. But we have to be honest and say, are we conveying a message that is about guilt? And that that's how you understand God. For me growing up, another big one, and again, it was one that I happened to have a conversation with someone this week about, is the anti-science God. That somehow to choose God is to walk away from science. And y'all know if you've been around for a while that I I love science and that was what I went to school for. Um, So to have to stop and choose between undeniable science And you're going to hate this phrase, unreliable religion. um, We probably would pick science. Now you may say, okay, unreliable religion, because think about all the things that the church has done in history to hurt people. And so we can look and think about it from that perspective. When you can stop and look at something that is provable, we often move in that direction, the tension that exists. This idea that God and science can somehow not relate to each other is a false alternative. Here's, here's a great example. If your children or grandchildren are sick and they go to the doctor, they're running a fever, the doctor says, We're going to draw blood and we're going to check and see what's going on in their life. And so, you have the blood drawn and you have to go home. And what do you do? You call your friends, you call your church, you tell them to pray and you pray. They pray, you pray, but what are you also doing? You're sitting by the phone, right? You're waiting for the phone to ring. When the phone rings and they say, look, we've got the results of your test. We know what's going on. And what we believe in the moment is that God is trying to teach you something. No, you want the results of the test, right? Right? And so if we lean into science in our health, why would we not lean into science in other areas? Why would we reject science? See, the reality is Christians historically have believed that God is the God of all. Everything that we learn about God through physics and science. Biology and chemistry, everything we learn teaches us something about God and how God works. The scripture says that everything on this earth comes from God. Chad had this morning a video for the children talked about creativity and that the creativity of God, all of the creativity within us comes from God, everything. And so we don't have to choose between the two. I believe that they help complement With each other. So, what you have to begin to ask yourself if you're struggling in your faith, if your children are struggling in their faith, if the grandchildren, how did they come to what they know about God? Where did it originate from? Where's your view of God? Where did it come from? Many of us, as we've grown up in church, we experienced childlike faith which the scripture is encouraging us to do, but then we face adult questions and it creates problems. Today, as I said, you may not particularly like this, that we're not gonna end with, I'm not gonna prove to you the existence of God. I've told you what I believe and that we're gonna come to a place at the end of this series where all of us need God. But today, I really just wanna challenge you, the church, to think about the message we convey. And for those of you who are listening who may be struggling in your faith. I want you to keep listening because I believe that as we talk more about the truth of Jesus Christ that maybe you'll come to see Christ in a different way. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come in this moment as your church we are spread out all over this community, which means you're everywhere. And God, I pray for each and every one of us who who hear the message this morning, and we think, "Well, we already know, we already believe." But what about those people that we encounter that don't? How do we answer their questions? We pray, oh God, for you to use this time to build us up so that we can reach more people who are outside your walls. And right now, as your body, we come together and we pray for that one person today who may be listening, who is struggling with an image of you that may be the wrong image. Maybe they've grown up thinking that you don't exist if I can't feel you every second. Us to trust that you're constant, even when we don't feel you. We pray for that person today who's listening, or maybe they're going to listen this week, or maybe it's somebody we know that we need them to listen. And I pray, God, that they can begin to allow you to work in their life, open their hearts.